This is Zach Driscoll, and I'd like to welcome you to the Real Men Podcast. To find more Bible teaching and content like this, visit markdriscoll.org. And don't forget to set aside a good chunk of time, because my dad has a habit of preaching lengthy sermons. All right, good to have you, men. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm going to do a little introduction overview of a life of a guy named Daniel. And let me just start with this question. We've all got, you've all heard this, right? I know a guy. So let's just be honest, we're in church, uh, but it's not Sunday and the women are here, so we can just speak freely. So... Um, when you hear the phrase, I know a guy, what kind of things is it generally or oftentimes in reference to? What's that? Yourself? What, 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 if you need something, the guy's like, I know a guy. What kind of guy is he talking about? You need weed? You're like, I know, a, I know a guy. I know a guy. You need weed? I know a guy. Hey, and if you're that guy, welcome, but you need to stop being that guy. All right, so other things we say about that guy. Contractor, I, I, yeah, you need a general contractor? I, I, I know a guy, I know a guy. He's got tools, no, no license, he, he, you know, pay him in cash, but yeah, he, I know a guy, okay? We, what are the things we use? I know a guy. Sales, Yo, you need something? I, I, I know a guy. You need insurance? I know a guy, right? You need a divorce attorney? I know a guy. You need a hitman? I know a guy, right? Professionals, right? Other, I know a guy, what else? Mechanic, oh, your car blew up? I know a guy. Your wife blew up, I know another guy, right? We can work on them both. So what, what we want this to be is if, if you're meeting with a guy and he's like, I don't know what to do with my life, bring him here and say, I know a guy. Guy's like, my wife hates me, what do I do? Well, come on Wednesday night, I know a guy, right? I, I can't find the Bible, I don't, I don't know what to do with the Bible. Come on Wednesday night, I, I know a guy, right? My belt doesn't stay on, I don't know how to keep my belt on. Come on Wednesday night, we'll buy you a belt and I know a guy who'll buy you that belt, okay? We wanna be the place where as you meet guys, you'll be the referral system that says, hey, come on, join us. There's enough guys, I'm sure, I'm sure we have that guy. Whatever that need is, I'm sure we've got that guy. We've got enough great men here. And what I wanna focus on tonight is how to be a great man. I don't think it's a bad thing to aspire to greatness. It's how and why we aspire to it. And one of the greatest guys in the Bible is this guy named Daniel. If you wanna learn how to live your life, I know a guy. You wanna learn how to be faithful to God for 70 years, I know a guy. You wanna learn how to pray, I know a guy. You wanna know how to work under an awful boss, I know a guy, his name's Daniel. His name's Daniel, and here's what it says about him in Ezekiel. It's pretty crazy, there's another Old Testament prophet, his name is Ezekiel, and God speaks to and through him, and he actually names Daniel. Uh, the moral of the story is it really doesn't matter what other people say about you. It ultimately matters what God says about you. And here's what God says to and through the prophet Ezekiel 14, 12 through 14. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Uh, God calls him a son. God calls you a son. God has a father's heart. He loves you as a son. It doesn't matter how old you are. You always need the father. The Lord came to me, son of man, when a land sins against me by acting faithlessly, so everybody's blowing it, I stretch out my hand against it and break its supply of bread and send famine upon it and cut off from it man and beast. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they would be delivered or they would deliver their own lives by their righteousness, declares the Lord. God looks at this whole nation. It's a total dumpster fire. Everybody's in disobedience. Every day is like Mardi Gras. God is kind of sick of everyone's behavior. And he says, you know what? I would smoke the whole town. And if three guys live there, 
uh, Noah, Daniel, and Job, God says, those would be the only three guys that I wouldn't have to punish because they are righteous, meaning they, they live in obedience, seeking to do what is right. Just think about that for a moment. What God is saying is, these are like the three greatest men when it comes to holiness, obedience, godliness, consistency, and being an example for men like us. I mean, Job went through it, if you know his story. Noah, I mean, built an ark and lived in a desert. I mean, how many of you right now, this is not the ideal boat building environment, amen? Right around the corner from us, there's a marine center. It went out of business. They should have seen that coming. That should not have snuck up on anyone. That's a true story, by the way. I, I, I drove by the Marine Center. I was like, of course it closed. Why did it ever open, right? I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's like a Trump headquarters in San Francisco. Like that'll never work. That's not gonna stick. That's not a thing. And I shouldn't have said that. But anyways, what he's saying here, that these three guys are, are sort of the legends. They're the greatest guys. And if you wanna know how you live your life, God's saying here, I know a guy. I know a guy named Noah. I know a guy named Job. I know a guy named Daniel. If you wanna figure out how to be a good man, a man that I'm proud of, a man that I'm pleased with, these are the guys you need to look at. So God tells us that these are great men, included among them is Daniel, who we're spending 12 weeks studying the book bearing his name. Then the question is how? So not only not only is a man great, but how is a man great? And this is where we have biographies and movies and motivational seminars and cultural narratives and storylines. And, and we're all trying to figure out how did the great guys do it? You know, how did Michael Jordan become Michael Jordan? How did Jackie Robinson become Jackie Robinson? How did Martin Luther King become Martin Luther King? How, how did they do it? Jump right into Daniel with you. We looked at this earlier in Daniel. I was in chapter eight on Sunday and I wanna do a bit of an introduction and overview of his life for you today. But it says this in Daniel 4, eight through nine, at last Daniel came in before me and this is King Nebuchadnezzar, who's a really bad guy. He's, he's a really bad guy. He conquers nations. He, he castrates men as he did Daniel. Uh, he has a harem. He, he wants to be worshiped as a God. I mean, he's worst case scenario guy. And he has Daniel working for him after he's captured him and enslaved him and, and castrated him. At last, Daniel came in before me, King Nebuchadnezzar says, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. I know that the spirit of the holy gods lives in you. He doesn't understand because he's not a believer, but he knows there's something different about Daniel's life. And that is, he has the spirit of God. The only thing more powerful than a man is the spirit of God. That's why there is no hope for any man apart from him having the spirit of God. The spirit of God can change any man. The spirit of God can forgive any man. The spirit of God can transform any man. Is that true? The whole world looks at men, especially young men and says, there is no hope. Well, the spirit of God is more powerful than any man and gives hope to any and every man. How do you receive the spirit of God? Well, you receive the spirit of God as a gift from Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is God, he lived without sin, he died in your place for your sins. He rose from death, conquering your enemies of Satan's sin, death, hell, the wrath of God. He returned to heaven where he rules and reigns as a king. He's coming again to judge the living and the dead and to help you live your life in this world as Daniel lived his life in Babylon. Lots of opposition, hostile forces and temptations. He gives you the power of the Holy Spirit. 
what the Holy Spirit does for a man, this will shock you, changes a man's desires. That's one of the first things that the Holy Spirit does in the life of a man. You and I are born as sinners with these fallen, depraved, corrupted, self-destructive desires. Most men, if not all men, are finding ways to slowly or quickly kill themselves. Some of them put a gun in their mouth, others put a bottle in their mouth. It's the fast or the slow method toward the same destination of death. And what happens when the Spirit of God enters a man, it changes his desires. That's the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. The Christian wants to do the things that God says. The non-Christian doesn't want to do them. That's why Christianity makes no sense to a man who doesn't have the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God changes his desires. But if what you're hearing is, read the Bible, pray, walk with God, repent of sin, you think, I, that's, I don't wanna do any of that. Once you receive the Spirit of God, guess what? That's what you wanna do. Your desires change. Your desires change. And all of a sudden, Christianity is not about what you have to do, it's about what you get to do. It's about what you get to do. I, I had a conversation in the back. I'll give you an example. Um, and we'll use the man's name. He's in the room. We were grabbing burgers before. If you're new, uh, ESPN is on and we have a grill and we have burgers. So we know men are coming. We want you to get out of your truck and feel at home. So we're grilling dead animals. Okay, we're, we're here for you. And so what, what happened was I was talking to this guy. He's new and he was super encouraging to me. Uh, as I understand his story, he made some life mistakes and drugs and addiction and problems. And guess what his desires were? Drugs, addiction, and self-destruction. He met Jesus a few months ago, became a Christian. Guess what he received? The Holy Spirit. Guess what the Holy Spirit did? Changed his desires. What he told me now is he's not doing drugs. He's reading his Bible. He's not living and sleeping with his girlfriend. He got married. And last week, he went from this meeting for the very first time and prayed with his wife. First time he's ever prayed with his wife. Asked him how'd it go. He said, really good. She cried a lot. And usually when your wife cries, it's not good. Right, just so you know that. <laughs> but if it's happy tears because you're filled with the Holy Spirit and God has given you new desires and you're a new man, and now your desire is to bring God's presence into the relationship to build the love between you and your wife, guess what? Your wife's gonna cry, but it's a good cry. He said, I was a little scared. I felt a little awkward. I wasn't sure, you know, how this was gonna go. I had some fears. He said, but I just, I came home from men's and I just, just did it. I prayed with her. He's like, and it was awesome. We're gonna keep doing that. You know what that is? New desire, new desire. A guy can go from drugs to sleeping with his girlfriend to killing himself to the Holy Spirit, reading his Bible and praying with his wife. That's why the only hope we have for men is that God the Holy Spirit would live in a man and change his desires, okay? And this non-Christian man, Nebuchadnezzar, he looks at Daniel, this Christian man, this believing man, and he says, there's something different about you. You have the spirit of God in you. You, you desire things I don't desire. You do things I can't do. So I wanna talk briefly about four ways that great men live by God's power. Again, Daniel's a great man. God says he is. He becomes a great man living by a great power. Living by a great power. You men, you gas up your car, your truck, your motorcycle. You make sure that your phone is 
charged up when you go to work. If you've got a laptop or some other device, you check the battery, um, you, you check the finances in your account, make sure your cash flow's okay. It's always about having the resources to do what you need to do. The Holy Spirit is the supernatural power center and resource for a man to live a life like Jesus Christ by his power. Jesus lived by the power of the Holy Spirit and he sends the Holy Spirit to conform you into his character so you can live by his power. And what I wanna show you is, I think that there are four great, uh, there are four ways that great men live by God's power. And I wanna look at these as a case study in the life of Daniel. So Sunday, I dug deep into chapter eight, yelled my voice out, climbed over the pulpit. It was exciting for me. Okay, okay, yeah, well, you only get that once a week. I'm staying on the ground tonight. Um, and I wanna look at an overview of Daniel's life. Okay, so true or false, did Daniel have contentment? Okay. Contentment is the test of will I 100% push into the life that God has called for me if it's not the life that I want for me? This is one of the great tests in the life of every man. If life isn't what I wanted, am I still gonna 100% press forward into the life that God has called for me. How many men didn't get their first draft best case scenario life? Okay, all men. There's not one man I've ever met who says, it's amazing, everything I ever wanted, everything I ever dreamed of, everything I ever hoped for, it happened. I've never met that guy. If I did, we drug test him. He's not dealing with reality. He's not dealing with reality. So look at Daniel's life. What are the things that he could be really frustrated and not content because this was not what he wanted. Okay. The whole political scene. He's in Israel, a nation comes in and conquers him, takes him as a slave. Now he's got to work for a couple of different kingdoms. Babylon, which is horrible. I mean, Babylon is a horrible nation, right? I mean, the Rolling Stones named an album after it. I mean, it's that bad, right? And then, and then in addition, they were conquered by the Persian empire. So he goes from one king to the next and he has to serve both as a slave in a, in a government he doesn't like, in a political arena he doesn't like, under the guy he didn't vote for. If any of you are frustrated politically, just imagine being Daniel. They wanna continually destroy him. What else could he have been discontented with in his life? He had no family. His family, maybe his extended family would have died or was enslaved or they had to make the 700 mile walk when they were taken as exiles. What else did he not have? No security at all. He has no retirement. He has no healthcare. He doesn't own a house. He's a, when you're a slave, you got no guarantee. In fact, your property, I mean, he had a boss who tried to throw him into a lion's den. I mean, so there, there's, there's no security there. What else could make him discontented? He was castrated. I won't say exactly what that guy said, but it is true. Like, I, I don't know of any guy who's like, I really hope I grow up and get castrated. You know, I, I, he got castrated. So he never got to consummate a relationship with a wife and he never got to conceive a child. How many of you guys, you like being a dad? I love being a dad. I think dad, being dad's awesome. How many of you really like being granddad? That's like, that seems amazing. You're like, I'm gonna spoil you. They'll discipline you. I'm gonna go to bed. That seems amazing to me. He never got a wife. 
I mean, I don't, I don't know. There's 0% possibility that I see myself making it through life without my wife, Grace. I didn't have my kids. Like so much of what a man does is gets up to go to work, to generate revenue, to bless his family or to build some sort of legacy. You got no wife, you got no kids, you don't own anything and there's no heirs to give it to. How many of you guys would not get up and go to work tomorrow? It's like, I got nobody to work for and I don't own anything, there's no motivation. Why else could Daniel have just really struggled with contentment? He went to a horrible university, they indoctrinated him into a cult, right? And he's 700 miles away from home. This isn't even where he wants to be. The moral of the story is this, that contentedness is a test for every man in varying degrees. Some seasons more painful than others. But every man has to admit and confess at some point, this is not the life that I wanted, but will I accept it as the life that I have and push forward doing the best with it that I can. Men who don't pass the contentment test, here's, here's a couple of things they do. If you're not content and you're a young man, you lose all motivation. You look and you say, okay, I don't see life going the way I want. Therefore, I'm not even getting in the starting blocks and running. This is why 20 something guys still think that, you know, the Trinity is, you know, porn, a girlfriend and ESPN. I mean, to them, they think that's the Trinity. They're just gonna watch sports. They're gonna sleep with girls. They're gonna, they're gonna overconsume alcohol. They're gonna make foolish, stupid decisions. We've created a whole life stage for young men called adolescence. It used to be you'd go from boy to man. And now you've got your twenties where you have the freedom of a man, but you have the discernment of a child. And a lot of guys, they, they, they're racking up debt, they're addicted, they're acting foolishly and recklessly, they're sleeping with women, they have no plan for their future. And if you ask them why, it's because they're not content. They don't like where they are and they're not hopeful that they will get what they want, so they refuse to even try and start. It's a whole generational epidemic. I call them boys who can shave. If you're a little bit older and you're a guy who's in his say, 30s or 40s, what does discontentedness look like in that life stage for a man? What does it look like? Yeah, you don't get the job you want, you don't get the promotion you want, you don't get the girl you want, or, or you got the girl you wanted and then she left, right? You had kids, but these are not the kids I wanted. <laughs> no, some of you, you laugh, right? But that's what some of you think. You're like, this is not, this is, you know, this is not what I thought. This is not what I signed up for. So we invented something. We invented something for the young men to where they get to be adolescents. We've invented something for the middle-aged men called a midlife crisis. If life didn't go the way you want, then you, you, you've sort of earned the right to go rebel and, and to, to make up for lost time and have fun. Okay? And so we've created categories for men who are not content to justify foolish, rebellious, self-destructive behavior. So let's pick on the old guys last. The Bible says, don't rebuke an older man harshly. So this isn't harsh. Um, I promise you that. But when you're an old guy, if life didn't go the way you want, how do you respond? Grumpy, bitter, angry, it's just sort of jaded, right? These are the guys in Scottsdale sitting around drinking coffee, talking about politics and their ex-wife. 
True or false? Okay, I'm trying to offend everybody because I believe in equality. Is this true? Okay. Now, if you fall into these ditches, you're discontented as a young man, you blow a lot of your time and energy and best years on adolescence. And if you're not content in your middle years, you'll have a midlife crisis, commit adultery on your wife, get a Trans Am and go get some hair plugs. And then what happens when you're older, you're sitting at Starbucks, you know, in your Trans Am, drinking coffee, complaining to your war buddy about politics and your ex-wives. Okay, okay, true or false? I get paid the same either way. You can be honest or not, I don't care. The point is that ultimately, if a man is not content, his whole life is a disaster. And at the end, all he's doing is complaining. Here he's sinning, here he's sinning, and here he's complaining. Daniel doesn't do that. Daniel, he's content with the life that God has given him. This is not the life that he wanted. This is the life that he had. And so he made the most with the life that he had. This is the contented. How can a man possibly be content? He needs the spirit of God. He needs the spirit of God. Um, we had a little saying at my house. It was kind of a joke when the kids are growing up. It's better than hell. Mom would make, you know, chicken. They're like, I don't want chicken. It's better than hell, right? You got to pick up your room. I don't want to pick up my room. It's better than hell. It became a little joke at our house right? Started a fire one night. I don't want to carry the wood. At least you're not the wood. It's better than hell. Okay. Okay. And the point was, I want the baseline to be what we deserve is hell. Everything else better than that. I mean, Babylon's better than hell. I mean, Scottsdale's way better than hell. Right? The baseline is if I've sinned and rebelled against God and I deserve hell, then the life that I have is better than the life that I've earned and I'm gonna be content and grateful for it and make the most of it, even if it is painful and hard. We're not denying that Daniel's life was difficult. We're not denying that your life is difficult, but we are saying that if he was able by the power of the Holy Spirit to accept his life and to make the most of it, lean into it 100% and maximize it, then that is something that is possible by the power of the Holy Spirit for all of God's men. Second one, conviction. His commitment to God keeps getting tested. Okay, so those of you that have been with us, little summary, what are the various ways that his convictions were tested? He was going to experience some measure of pain for being faithful. He was told, hey, no praying to anyone except for the king for 30 days, you gotta change your religion. He goes home, he opens the windows, he gets down, he prays three times a day as he always does facing Jerusalem because that's where Jesus is ultimately gonna show up. That's who he's waiting for. And what he's told is you stop praying or we're going to put you to death. We're gonna throw you into a den of hungry lions. And what he says is, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. And God spared him, okay? Other ways that his convictions were tested. His diet. Early on, he was told, you gotta eat the king's food. And he's like, no, 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 no. Uh, my God says I can't eat these things. So I'm gonna eat this diet. The guy over him has compassion on him. Basically says, hey, I know that's what you want. You seem like a nice guy. My boss kills people who don't do their job. So I gotta do my job. Daniel says, well, give me a shot to do things the way that my God says. And if it doesn't work, then I'll die. And if it does work, maybe we have a better plan than your boss. But he, he's, how many of you, if somebody came to you and said, 
um, you change your diet or I'll kill you. You'd be like, for sure I'll change my diet. I'll, I'll eat anything. <laughs> he won't change his diet because it would violate his conscience and his convictions toward God. Other things that test his convictions. He wouldn't bow down to the king. And so, well, he was out of town for that as far as we could tell. But Nebuchadnezzar sets up this golden statue of himself and everybody bows down. Daniel's buddies don't. We don't know where he's at, but he for sure isn't one of the guys that bows down. He does not bow down. Your convictions are always going to be tested. And the key to everything is increasing your pain threshold. Okay, how many of you have played sports? Right, how many of you were a wrestler? Maybe you did MMA or Muay Thai or boxing. Or you were a football player. Right? The key is, you just, if you're up against somebody, you just figure out their pain threshold. And if you can push them beyond that, they will quit. Okay? Satan is always gonna try and push your pain threshold. And all he wants you to do is compromise your convictions. God says, don't do this or do do that. Satan applies enough pressure and enough pain until you do what he wants rather than what God wants. And the lie is that that will remove the pain. All it does is it creates a worse pain because now you realize that you have been disobedient to the God who loves you. How many of you have compromised, you've given in, anticipating that that would alleviate your pain and all it did is caused you greater pain. It's because Satan is a liar. And when we disobey God, the pain is not relieved, it's multiplied. And, and what I love about Daniel, he undergoes a whole life of constant uh, testing of his conviction. And so what I wanna tell you is this, you, you have got to prepare your answer before you take your test. The problem with too many men is they're, they're trying to cram at the last minute. For Daniel, he knows I'm not going to eat the king's food. That's his conviction. He's got his answer before he takes his test. Um, again, it is, well, we're all gonna worship the king. I'm not doing that. He has his answer before he takes his test. Okay, well, nobody's allowed to pray to their God for a month. No, I have my answer before I take my test. What does it look like in the life of a man when the test comes and he has not prepared his answer? That's when crisis comes. This is why you study your Bible, you pray, you come to your convictions before you take your test, before you take your test. Because when you're taking the test, it's just like school. If you're trying to figure out every answer while you're taking the test, you're going to fail the test. You need to study in advance, preparing to take the test and to have the answers in advance. This is why we study and this is why we pray. And let me just tell you guys this, the things that you're learning today are for a test that is coming. Some guys are like, I don't know why I gotta learn that. I don't need it. Well, it's because today isn't test day. Test day is coming. Today is preparation day for the test that is coming. And what I love about Daniel, he has his convictions in place. He has his answers in place before the test comes. And it doesn't matter how much pain they put on him. He is willing to accept that because he knows that the greater pain would be living with a guilty conscience that he had violated the God who loved him. Okay, number three, does Daniel, this is an easy one, does Daniel have courage? I mean, he, he literally a finger writes on the wall. We looked at this in Daniel and it's God saying, basically you're dead. 
And they're like, Daniel, what does that say? How many of you be like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's odd. <laughs> I mean, that's takes a lot of courage to say what God says. See, sometimes the hardest thing is to say what God says. You know, guy looks at you. So if I don't know Jesus, am I going to hell? What's the answer? Yes. Yes. Now, well, I don't know. You know, some uh, people think different. No. Yes. I just have the courage to lovingly say yes. Jesus, heaven. No Jesus, hell. Those are your options. There's no third category. Those are your options. Just have the courage. Have the courage to be honest when you failed. Have courage to be honest when you're wrong. Have courage to say the truth when it needs to be said. Have the courage to do whatever needs to be done. What are the other ways in Daniel's life that he demonstrates remarkable courage? Yeah, the, the, the drunk king with the harem, you know, is throwing the party. I think he's at Daniel 5. And, he, you know, and he says, uh, hey, if, if you'll do what I want, I'll give you a purple outfit, which is the color of royalty, and I'll give you a big gold chain. So he's basically, you know, he's getting a rap out contract is what he's doing. He's getting a rap album contract. He gets, he gets to wear purple with a gold chain. And what he says is, no, I'm not for hire. Okay. I serve God. And it doesn't matter what you pay me. I'm not taking your money. I'm going to serve God and I'm not for hire. Okay? And that's difficult for every man because even in business, there are gonna be times where you are told, if you will do something wrong, it will be profitable. This happens all the time, amen? You're like, no. They're like, okay, let me add a zero. No, I've got my answer before I take my test. Okay, so. I verbal process as I stand here. I don't know if that's shocking to you, but uh, I, I'll give you one story that comes to mind. I just thought of it. You could tell me it was the Holy Spirit or not. Um, I was meeting with a guy who was committing adultery on his wife, and he didn't know that um, he didn't know that I wasn't a Catholic priest. He thought if if a if a guy is committing adultery and he confesses it, then it's like confidentiality. You're not allowed to say anything. So I'm meeting with this guy, and he says. Uh, he said, well, I just need to tell you some stuff. I was like, okay, I was a new pastor. He said, uh, he said I'm kind of I'm I'm cheating on my wife a little bit. First of all, I was like, kind of in a little bit. I mean, you know, this is like pregnancy. It's all or nothing. Like, you know, it's, it, you're not like a little pregnant kind of. Like it, you, you either committing adultery or you're not. I said, oh, well, okay, tell me a story. He said, well, I like to go on business trips and then I drink too much. And then I hook up with a lot of different women. And now I've got women in every city and, I'm on the road a lot and I've kind of turned it into a whole lifestyle and it's kind of getting out of control. I looked at him, I said, okay, so does your wife know? He says, no. He says, no. I said, okay. I said, so are you gonna tell her or am I gonna tell her? He's like, no, 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 confidentiality. I said, no, 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 your wife's pregnant. You might have a venereal disease. She has every right to know she needs to get tested right? Because it's not about you. And he said, uh, no, no, you can't tell her. Yeah, I can. I talk for a living. I, I'm sure I can do this. Like, this is what I do. <laughs> I can say stuff. He literally pulled out a checkbook. And at this time, I was a 20-something brand new pastor in a very broke little church that was full of college kids. 
Our total annual budget was around $100,000 a year. He pulled out a checkbook and wrote a check for $200,000. And he says, well, how about you don't tell her? And I said, uh, I said, sir, I'm not a prostitute. I said, you can keep adding zeros. The answer is no. The answer is no. Some guys get through life by just throwing money at other men to make them do evil to cover their evil. And Daniel's a guy of courage. and, And what he's working for is the wealthiest man on the earth, Nebuchadnezzar. Babylon was a kingdom of gold. Nebuchadnezzar built a 90 foot high statue of himself made out of, that dude is doing well, You You guys know this, right? When men have extra money, what do we do? We get sort of fashionable hobbies. I got a boat, I golf, I got a new car. I got a 90 foot gold statue of myself. That's, wow, wow. Wow, that's way better than my bass boat. That's amazing. Yeah, if you want to come over and bow down to it, I'll let you. I mean, it's how he rolls. This is the guy that he works for. What kind of benefit could come to Daniel if he'll take the power of the Holy Spirit and the power and wisdom that God gives him and use it to generate more income from Nebuchadnezzar and the other empires? And he doesn't. Every single king, every single opportunity, every single ministry that God gives him, Daniel has the courage to say no to lots of things that would cause him great benefit and to instead endure great suffering because of his great love for God. And it just shows courage is only possible if you treasure God above everyone and everything else. Some men are just like, I need to be courageous. No, if you love God, more than anyone or anything, when the time is needed, you will be courageous not to be just tough or a thug, but because you know that God loves you and you love God. And that relationship with your father as his son is the most important thing. And there is no amount of money that would cause you to betray your father. It's courage, but it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, it is also consistency. So for those of you guys that have been with me and we've been going through Daniel, how many years of his life does chapters one through 12, the book of Daniel cover? How many years? 70, 80 years. He's, he's as old as 90 years of age plus by the end. So the book opens, he's a teenager. If you're a guy who's 18, 19, 20, Daniel starts like you. By the end, it's been 70 years that he's been in Babylon. Roughly 70 years that he's been away from the home country, which means he's in his 80s, maybe his 90s. I mean, he's a very old man. Question, was he consistent? See, this is, this is how we know that the Spirit of God is active in the life of a man. It's consistency. Almost every man, let's just be honest, seasons that are good, Walking with God, other seasons, oh, sorry about that. God, I'm back. Some of you guys are here and that's been your story. You're like, well, I did know God and I was walking with him and it's been a while, but now I'm back. There's a lot of this. And if you're that guy, welcome back. We love you. We're glad to have you. Jesus died for you. You get a fresh, clean slate. We're here to help. But consistency, how many of you want consistency for your kids? How many of you want consistency for your grandkids? 
I don't, you see, one of the things we do at church, we, we honor all the bad testimonies. So we bring a guy up. He's like, yeah, I was a drug addict and I ate my mom and I shivved my dad with a spoon and, you know, and then I met Jesus and now I sing worship songs. We're like, yay. And I'm like, wait, I feel bad for his mom and dad. Like, you know, we, I'm glad that he met Jesus, but man, a lot of damage got done in the middle. There's something to be said for a boring testimony. Okay? I want my kids to have a boring testimony. I want it to be, Jesus loved me. I love Jesus. We did that for 70 years. And then I saw Jesus. Great testimony. That's perfect. Now it's not always that easy, but the goal is this. It means that it is possible to have a consistent life that leads to what we would otherwise consider a boring testimony. Okay. Consistency is, I think, I put these as bookends. It is very hard to have contentment as a man. Amen? It's very hard to have consistency as a man. Practically, in the life of a godly man, let's look at the life of Daniel. What are the things that over 70 years he was consistent in? There was a consistency. Prayer. He's praying in chapter two. He's praying in was it chapter seven. He's got a long prayer coming up in chapter nine. It says that he would pray three times a day as was his habit. So literally this guy, we know for a fact for 70 years, at least three times a day, he not only prayed, he got down on his knees to pray, showing his humility and surrender to God. 70 years of praying. Other signs of consistency in the life of Daniel. Serving, 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 serving. Bad king, another bad king, bad king, another bad king. And he gets up every day and where does he go? He goes to work and he does the best job he can for the worst boss possible. When you do a good job for a bad boss, you ultimately know that your boss's boss is God. And when you go to work, you're saluting the uniform, but you're ultimately serving the Lord. Other things that are consistent in his life. God continually provides for him human wisdom. And you're right, Enoch, we see this in chapter nine where he's doing a deep Bible study in Moses and Jeremiah. So he has wisdom through his whole life, but part of it is he's praying and he's in the scriptures and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. No man has wisdom without the Holy Spirit, scripture and prayer. But he has wisdom because he's praying, he's in the scriptures and he has the Holy Spirit. Other models, examples of consistency in the life of Daniel. Yeah, he has good friends. He has buddies that he walks with. Like I told you, you need your crew before your crisis. He has a couple of buddies through the book and when crisis happens, he knows who to call. They get together and they pray, okay? It's like, I got a problem, I need prayer. I know a guy and they come and pray together. These, these, are the, these things seem so basic, do they not? How many of you men would say, I know I'm supposed to have godly male friends, read my Bible, pray, um, worship God. I know I'm supposed to do that. We all know that, right? But we, we don't, we don't. Some men, it's not that they need to do, excuse me, it's not, for some men, it's not that they need to know more. It's just that they need to do more with what they know. A boring testimony doesn't have to make a boring life. Daniel's got a boring testimony. He's got an exciting life. He's got a, I mean, Gabriel comes twice. 
that's twice more than me. The second time Gabriel shows up, he's like, and Gabriel came back. I was like, and he knew who it was because he'd already visited with him once. Like when God's like, I'll send you an angel. I'll deliver you from a lion's den. You get to write a book of the Bible. That's awesome. Jesus will mention your name. Boring testimony, exciting life. Okay. And, and what I love about Daniel is this consistency. Okay. So what I would encourage you men is, we tend to think that we can accomplish far more than is actually possible in minutes or hours or days, and we underestimate what can be done in decades, okay? I believe that the reason that Daniel keeps passing his tests is he's consistent, and as he gets older, the tests get more difficult, but he's been consistent, so he's been preparing to take those tests, and as a result, he's ready to take them when those opportunities come. And what I love about Daniel is his consistency. How many of you have seen that reading Daniel? You're like, 70 years, man. 70 years. Friends, godly friends, reads his Bible, prays, goes to work, and seeks to do what is right in the sight of God every single day for 70 years. He trusts God through the whole thing. And here's the deal with Daniel. Did he get to see in his life the reward and the blessing? Right now today, Daniel is buried in what is modern day Iran. He never made it home. But ultimately he died and he stood before Jesus. And what did he hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. And he received an eternal inheritance. He's still serving a king. It's just King Jesus. He's still serving a kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. And none of the blessing um, that he received on earth could have possibly compared to the blessing he'll receive from the King of Kings in the kingdom of God. It's, it's a perspective that a man needs to have. Let me, let me close with this. Um, on consistency, some of you guys, the key is just get started and keep going. We've had in recent weeks, every week, we got a dozen guys that get their first Bible. You know what? Start reading it and guess what? Keep reading it. Some of you guys have never prayed. Guys are praying here every week for the first time. Start praying and keep praying. It's consistency over time. I'll close with the story. When I was a brand new Christian in college, I, I went to the college ministry and group and I realized none of those guys knew what they were talking about. Okay? When college guys teach college guys, it's not the wisdom factory. I'll just tell you that right now. <laughs> so I got in with a college and I was like, none of us know what we're talking about. None of us know what we're talking about. So I, I went to a church and I was looking for two things. I was looking for a church with older men who carried beat up Bibles. Okay. Find an old guy with a beat up Bible. That's what I was looking for. I was, I was a 19 year old kid. I go to the church. There's a bunch of old guys with beat up Bibles. I was like, I'm in the right place. So I walked up to one of the old guys with a beat up Bible. And I said, uh, hey, I'm a new Christian and I want to learn the Bible and I want to learn how to be a Christian. What do I do? He said, come to our men's Bible study. I was like, okay, I'll do that. I didn't know they met early in the morning because men have jobs. I was in college. I was not prepared for this. So he's like, yeah, we meet like at six. I was like, PM, awesome. I'll have dinner and be there. I can be there by the crack of dinner. He's like, no, we meet at 6 a.m. We have jobs. We're grown men. I was like, ah, oh, I'm in college. Okay, I'm going to try. So I got up early, went to the men's Bible study. I show up and it was this interesting combination of some younger guys, but mainly older guys. And there was a number of guys that had degrees. It was in a university town. 
a lot of the guys in the Bible study had masters, PhDs, and were professors, and they loved the Lord, and they were great guys. But there was one guy in the group, I kid you not, he was quiet, he didn't say very much, but when he did, everybody shut up, grabbed a pen, and took a note. This old guy, he, I mean, the force was strong in this one, right? <laughs> so he, because he, when we'd hit a point, he wouldn't, everybody'd look at him, he would never say, he was very quiet. But when he spoke, he'd say, I'd like to share something. Everybody was like, this dude had wisdom, like unbelievable insight, knew the Bible, didn't just know the Bible, knew the Lord. You know, there's certain guys you talk, you're like, you don't just know the verse, you know the God who wrote it. You got a relationship with him. And when you talk, it, it, you're echoing him. You're saying what he says. So I... I I finally pulled him aside one time and I was like, so tell me your story. Are you a professor? Do you have a degree? I don't think he graduated from high school. I said, well, what do you do? Because I'm a college student. This Bible studies largely professors. And it was in a, a farming community. He said, uh, I'm a farmer. I have a farm. Uh, I don't think he graduated high school. I said, well, how did you learn all this? He said, uh, every day I'm in the truck. I'm in the combine, I'm in the tractor, and I sing, and I pray, and I, he, at that time, it was listen to the Bible on cassette. He said, I just listen to the Bible, and I talk to the Lord, and I sing, and I pray. That's what I do every day. I said, how long have you been doing that for? He said, since I was a little boy. At this point, he's a very old man. Guess what? Consistent. Just consistent. I remember looking at that guy going, there's no way to microwave holiness. There's no way to microwave wisdom. There, there's no way to microwave maturity. You just, you gotta be consistent. So I asked this guy, I said, well, you know, I would like to be a man like you when I'm old and I'm, I'm not close. He said, uh, he literally told me, he said, the key is to just do the right thing every day. I was like, that's the simplest advice I've ever heard, but it's brilliant. The right thing every day is pray, read your Bible, find good men to walk with. When you're wrong, say, I'm sorry. And when you're right, hold your ground. Just do the right thing every day. And so the wisest man in our Bible study was the least educated man in our Bible study. The wisest man in our Bible study was the most consistent man in our Bible study. And we live in a country that will honor a man for his athletic ability or his appearance or his strength or his intellect. We tend not to value his character. And that's what God values the most. And that comes through consistency. So I love you guys. I honor you. It is a joy to have you. Some of you are taking your first step. Some of you are taking your next step. We're all moving forward together, amen? And if you've been consistent, please continue and encourage the other guys on how to be consistent. And if you're new, start this pattern and process of consistency. And I'll give you some questions for around your table. Um, these are discussion points. You can hit some or all. Number one, where are you content and discontent? Every man has things in life. You're like, I'm content with this. I'm not content with that. I love my wife, I hate my job, okay? I love my job, I'm struggling with my wife, okay? We've all got our thing. Where are you content? Where are you discontent? 
Um, where are your convictions strong? Honestly, where are they weak? You're like, if it's in this area, I've got good boundaries, healthy decisions over here. Yeah, not so good. I wake up every morning and pray, but I drink too much every night. My, my convictions for prayer are a whole lot stronger than my convictions for self-control. Okay. Number three, were you courageous? You'll speak up, hold your ground. Other places, you're, you're, you're less courageous. I, I need to get stronger there. Um, where are you consistent and inconsistent? Right? Every one of us, there are certain areas in life as men, we're consistent, right? We have good patterns. Other areas, not consistent. Some of you guys are really consistent managing your money, praise God. But you're not consistent managing your time with your family. So where are you consistent? Where are you inconsistent? And then uh, the last two, which guys do we need to pray that they would accept your invitation to join us? We all know guys who need to be here, amen? And it's not being here that makes the difference, but it's being here with the men of God to open the word of God, to invite the spirit of God, to create us to be like the son of God. That's why we're here. So who do you need to invite? And thank you for inviting other guys to join us and for those who join us online. And then lastly, do you need a Bible? I always say it's hard to be a Bible guy if you don't have a Bible. So what we like to do, we like to give guys Bibles. How many of you, you've never been to a place where you get a hundred dollar Bible if you show up? right? Okay, why do we give you a really nice $100 leather-bound study Bible? You matter, and this is the best gift we can give you. And if we, if we care for you, we want to give you the best gift we can give you, and that is the Word of God. Amen? So if you need a Bible, just tell your table lead, I need a Bible. We'll get you one. We got a stack of them tonight. Guys around the room have actually bought stacks of Bibles, we will not run out. The guys here are super generous and we'd love to give you a Bible if you want one. Father God, thanks for an opportunity to study Daniel together. And God, just thank you. Thank you that, that you mentioned him as a great man with, with Job and with Noah. Thank you that, that even the unbelieving King Nebuchadnezzar could see that he had the spirit of God. God, thank you that you changed Daniel's desires and that Holy Spirit, you can change our desires. And you have, God, there's some miracle stories in the room tonight. And Lord God, please help us to grow in contentment, conviction, courage, and consistency. Lord God, health of the soul is like health of the body. It's just habits over time. And Lord God, as men, we, we confess that there are ways that we struggle with this. So I pray for the discussions and the time of prayer around the table. I pray that any man who is open to praying, would pray. Any man who is open to being prayed for would allow the other men to pray for him and to pray with him. And God, I pray that our time together would be a time in which men are not beat up, but they're built up. And Lord God, no matter where we start, by your grace, through your spirit, we can get on the path of Daniel and start walking down that road toward the kingdom of God until we see our King Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you.